Hello, and welcome to Fatal Femmes, a podcast surrounding the women of mystery. Each episode will focus on a mystery, suspense, or thriller written by or made famous by a female-identifying artist. We're your hosts, Laura Celeste and Lacey Cannon-Gonzalez. Stay tuned. In this episode, we will be talking about the pilot episode of How to Get Away with Murder, created by Shonda Rhimes, starring Viola Davis, Alfred Enoch, Jack Fallahy, Aja Naomi King, Carla Sousa, and Matt McGorry. We want to caution you that this episode is full of spoilers. We will get in-depth on every aspect of the plot, so if you care about that, go watch this pilot episode and then come back. We'll be waiting. To get us started, I'm going to give you the synopsis for the series. A group of ambitious law students and their brilliant criminal defense professor become involved in a twisted murder plot that promises to change the course of their lives. So, Lara, you have not watched any of this show. I hadn't seen anything until you recommended it. We watched the pilot together, mm-hmm. and then because it drew me in, I ended up watching the second episode, but because of other commitments, I haven't had time to watch anymore. So I don't know much at all about this. Okay, so I specifically wanted to pick the pilot episode because even if you put it on its own, it is such a strong episode. It's a fantastic pilot. What were your initial thoughts? Just curious before we get into everything. Was it anything like you expected? Not really. My parents had been watching it, so I knew a tiny little bit about it. Obviously, I knew that there was a murder that took place, and I had seen that some of the people that you thought were supposed to be good were involved in the murder, but that's pretty much all I knew going into it. Which is basically nothing, because I've been watching the show... Well, I haven't been watching the show since it aired, but I started watching it on Netflix, and I've seen three or four seasons. I don't know how many I've seen. There's four seasons Okay, right now. so I've seen four then. And I literally can't tell you how we get from the pilot to the last episode of season four, because there are so many twists and turns. Shonda Rhimes knows how to take you on a ride. You are never bored watching her show because just when you think you know what's going to happen or you think someone's caught, all of a sudden this outrageous, unsuspected plot twist comes in and you're just thrown completely for a loop. And it's even comical at some points because just the levels that they, they have to reach get pretty funny. I will say, however, in the beginning, pilot episode completely drew me in. I think the first season is amazing TV. I was completely enthralled from the very beginning. One thing that I heard about this series that a lot of American TV shows fall into this problem is because network shows have 22 episodes a season that sometimes in the middle they can start to lag or not get very good because the writers are getting tired, they're running out of ideas. Then after Christmas when they start to realize, oh, we have to get renewed for another season. We better pick up our ideas and really make these ones count, then the episodes start to get better up until the end of the season. I heard that happened with this series. Do you agree with that? More or less. I like that because it's like, oh, the spark gets ignited because we're going to have season two. I think the plot does become a little convoluted over time. And I think it is trying to fit that large order they have to fill episode wise. I was still really interested It did take you on a couple twists and turns and you're like, okay, where is this going? I don't quite get how this fits in with everything, but okay, I'm here because the performances are so good. You have amazing actors. You have Viola Davis, who her body of work is just so impressive. You have these younger actors that while they're young, they have great bodies of work themselves. Alfred Enoch was in 
the Harry Potter movies. He was Dean. Yeah. I didn't realize that. I know. He has a very convincing American accent. But I was like, this dude looks familiar. So I'm on IMDb when I first watched the pilot and discovered that. But all of them have done a lot of things. You'll know Matt McGorry from Orange is the New Black. He played the prison guard that fell in love with, I cannot remember her name, but the, she was an inmate, but she was also the daughter of an inmate. The one that thought he was the dad of the baby no he was the dad oh of the he was baby. the dad of the baby yeah he was the dad of the baby sorry to spoil orange is the new black for anybody but you should have watched it by now but yeah i think her name's daisha so i take it he's not on that show anymore no he left he left i kind of hated his departure on that show but i was really excited to see him on this and his character is kind of the comic relief in a lot of circumstances he kind of plays a frat bro that's why he looked so familiar. Yeah, right? Okay, I couldn't pick out where I knew him from. Mystery Salt! Yeah. And the other actors, I'm not as familiar with them, but from what I've seen from them on this show, I would definitely go and watch most projects they would do. I think they all have a long career ahead of them. Yeah, I really... Aja Na- Naomi King really impressed me. I really love her character. She plays Michaela. We'll get into that, because we haven't even got to the plot yet. She's also gorgeous. Yeah, and so is Carla Souza. Just stunning. and so is Jack Fowley. Like that's the thing when you have a primetime network show, you ain't gonna get a lot of bad-looking people. It's gonna be eye candy to the left, eye candy to the right. So there's not a shortage of beautiful people. They're all really beautiful, but they don't have that CW look. They're beautiful in different ways. It didn't look like they were all plucked from like an Aeropostale ad or however the hell you say that name i never shopped there so i don't know how it's said i wasn't cool enough but let's delve into this pilot episode okay i wanted to know how do you feel coming in and kind of critiquing a pilot episode for a tv show so a pilot episode is a calling card for the show sometimes you get an amazing pilot and then the series just kind of fizzles unfortunately that's kind of how i felt i guess fizzle isn't the right word but glow is one of those where the pilot was just so incredible but then the rest of the series was good but it didn't enthrall me the way the pilot did yeah the the pilot definitely did its job and hooked you but the rest of the season i wouldn't say it failed to keep me hooked but i wasn't as invested as i thought i was going to be and then other shows like the office while that pilot is strong it didn't show anything near what the series would become. It got immensely better. So this pilot being so strong, it makes me wonder how the rest of the series is, if it can keep up that level of strength or not. This pilot was amazing. It fit everything, all the criteria. It ticked all the boxes. Yeah, strong acting, good writing, interesting, drew you in. There wasn't a slow minute in it. The only kind of critique I have, which I can't even fault it too much, is there was a few times that it was like, "Uh uh-huh, this is a real coincidence here. Like a girl walking in with some evidence that just happens to pertain to the witness that they're questioning at that exact moment. But that's not an accident. That's not a coincidence. Oh, it's not? No, 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 it's not. We'll get into that because I know exactly the part you're talking about. And any diehard fan does. And so we will discuss once we get there. Okay. 
But that was the only thing. It seemed like there was a few times where things just seemed to happen at exactly the right time. And you're like, okay, your real life doesn't happen like that. But this is a TV show and we don't watch it so that we can see exact real life. We see a version of real life with all the messy bits taken out. Well, I'm going to let you think that and you keep watching the show because one thing I will say is nothing is by accident. Whether it's the writing or the character, everything is for a purpose. (gasps) I'm getting goosebumps. I hate not knowing things. It makes me want to go just binge the whole season right now. Do it. Binge it all. Don't eat. Don't sleep. Just watch TV. We got to record this podcast. Oh, okay. So let's get started. Do you want to start us off with our opening scene? In the teaser, which teaser is TV talk, for the bit that happens before the opening credits. Laura's a TV exec, don't you know? Yeah. All right, in the teaser, we open with a bonfire, all kinds of people getting drunk, the police are busy, it's just a wild, crazy mess. Chaos. Makes me think about the bonfires they used to have at Texas A&M before it collapsed and killed all those people. Yeah, before it it got dark. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We open on... Uh, this group of four people in the woods and they're having a little bit of a fight. Tensions are high to say the least. And one person runs up to the group and pulls this bloody statue out of their bag and says, I went back for this. At which point everybody else freaks out. Everyone's freaking out. Everyone starts talking about different cases and evidence and all of these legal jargons are being thrown around it leads you to believe in those minutes someone something bad has happened you don't know what extent it is to this point but it can't be good because you have four people completely freaked out arguing you have two people on one end of the spectrum saying that we need to do this thing you have the other people saying no we need to do this thing and no one can agree then they say we're gonna flip a coin well that's when one of our main characters who we'll introduce in a minute takes the situation by the reins and decides they're gonna flip a coin to decide what they're gonna do and at this moment is when you hear heads We go get the body, tails, we leave it. So you know that someone has died. And then we do a flashback to three months earlier. Because why would anything be easy to figure out? They give you a taste of what's happening, and then they reel you back. And so we are introduced to the person who was holding the bloody statue. This is Wes. We find out his name later, but... He's riding his bicycle, and he rides by this wall covered in posters for a missing girl, Lila Stamgard. He goes into a giant classroom. It's obvious that it's the first day of school. They're on a college campus, and the sign on the door says Middleton, or the sign on the building, rather, says Middleton Law. That can give you a hint on why he's there. So Wes walks into the classroom, and this is kind of obvious right off the bat. This isn't going to be your typical law class. Not that I would know. (laughs) I haven't been to school for law in this lifetime. But he walks in. He is a young person, fresh-faced, full of optimism and hope, and pretty much right away that's dashed. He tries to make small talk and is quickly shot down and realizes that everyone is not there to make friends. He doesn't know there's a seating assignment. He's still struggling to find his seat when the woman herself walks in the room. We see the back of her head. She walks to the front of the room. She says, welcome to criminal law 100, or as I like to call it, how to get away with murder. 
She turns around. Viola Davis, in all her glory as Annalise Keating, is there for class. She gives this amazing monologue. It just sets everything up. And we cut to the opening credits. So right away, again, this is establishing this is not your typical law class. She lets them know right away they will not be learning from books. They will not be setting the theory of law. They will be learning the law in actual cases in courtrooms, like a real lawyer, to quote Annalise. Right away, they're given a case. Immediately, she starts calling on students to give her these answers. And it's obvious that all of these students somehow magically knew this case, and Wes doesn't, because they're all answering questions, and Wes is looking completely bewildered like he has no clue what's going on. Right away, we see people succeeding and getting somewhat praise from Annalise because it's kind of hard to get that from her. And then we see a couple students get humiliated. Wes is one of those because he's called on and he has no clue what's being talked about. And that's when Annalise asks him about the syllabus. You got my syllabus. And he reveals that he was on the wait list and only accepted to the university two days before. So he wouldn't have gotten it. So I realize that this is a TV show. These are the type of college classes that I always saw growing up. And I was terrified to go to college. I was like, there's no way I'm smart enough to talk like these people. Now, obviously, I've never been to law school, but thankful to say real college wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. No, I think if I had to go to a class like this, I might not go. It is for a certain type of person. It is for a person that's cutthroat, that is assertive, and doesn't mind having intense pressure put upon them. That's not me, and that's probably why I won't ever be a lawyer or in any kind of criminal field. (laughs) You mean you won't be a criminal? Probably not, because that tends to be a lot of pressure. You know, the courts and the the prisons and the the never getting out. Figuring out how to get away with it. Yeah, I feel like that's just... I've watched a lot of crime shows, like people, like, dealing drugs and stuff it just it's more hassle than it's worth i think i'll just stick on my my path that i'm on of non-criminality criminalness touching on the case a little bit that they're arguing or they're giving information about it is the case of this woman that supposedly allegedly gave her boss a fatal dose of a certain type of medicine he was allergic to causing him to lose oxygen to his brain which has basically left him incapacitated for the rest of his life he, she was a secretary and also his mistress so they go through and rattle off facts of the case we see our main characters standing out we have Annalise Wes Michaela Pratt who is Aja and Naomi King who just is incredible and she's definitely shown she's not here to make friends we have Connor Walsh Asher I can't remember his full name but I know his name's Asher and Laurel Castillo so they all throughout the course of the class make their presence known and most of them show themselves to be worthy adversaries or worthy participants in Annalise's ongoing competition proceedings, whatever you want to call it. They're real smart and they know their stuff. Yeah, and they know it. So at the very end, Connor asked Annalise the million dollar question. Did she do it? Which is when Annalise tells them, I lied. This isn't a past case. This is an ongoing case. And guess what? You're going to help me build the defense. We then cut to her house. We're in her house. We meet, as I call them, her flotsam and jetsam, Bonnie and Frank. Frank is the muscle. Bonnie's the brains. They are there to intimidate and scare the crap out of all the little little students. And I think at this point, we're told she will be hiring four of her law students to work for her firm that year. And they will gain priceless experience and access to a real working law firm, which 
I think to become a lawyer, your first year in law school, you can't beat that. No, you definitely can't. This is what I like to call our legally blonde moment. All through this pilot, I just kept thinking about how much this reminded me of Legally Blonde. So is Wes L. Woods? I guess he is. He would be. But like a tart. Annalise just reminds me of... Oh, what's the professor's name? Callahan? Cannot, Except Callahan. She's, she's not a disgusting, misogynist male pig, and she actually does a really good job and is a good lawyer and is fierce. That is all very true. I still expected her to start singing Blood in the Water at some point. I expected them all. Honestly, I expected Connor and Michaela to start doing a duet of that. Blood in the Water. I don't even know if that's the tune. It doesn't matter. We're waiting for the musical episode of How to Get Away with Murder. Someone's going to have a dream sequence and everyone's going to sing. It's got to happen. Sooner or later, if a show goes on long enough, they get a musical episode. You got to jump the shark. (gasps) Blood in the Water. Sharks. (gasps) Maybe they can have the fawns on. Maybe they can do it during Shark Week. (laughs) No, that's in the summertime hiatus. Oh, no. But getting back to the synopsis. After all of this information is revealed, Annalise then tells everyone they have one evening to get a defense argument together. No two arguments can be alike. They all have to be unique. The best ones will get to actually work on the case with her. She then tells Wes that he will be going last, which is the most unenviable position because he will have to think of something that everyone else hasn't thought of and he'll be the last one to go. So there's a chance that everyone's going to get the good ideas and he won't have them. How many students do you think are in this class? I would venture to say at least 100. It's a huge class. Yeah, I would be out. Yeah, I'd just be like, you know what? This was fun and I'm going to go take pottery. Do they have a podcasting class? Because I probably need to go to that. Wes is up all night working on his line of defense, which is not going all that great. And he hears this really loud music from next door, goes and knocks on his neighbor's door and says, hey, can you kind of turn your music down? I'm trying to study. And she said, you can deal with it. I had to put up with the guy who lived there before you who had crazy rabbit sex and had a mental breakdown. I have no idea if this is important information or not. I do. But I'm going to mention it here. His neighbor is not empathetic to his plight. This is when we come to our flash forward, where we discover the result of the coin flip. And it was to go back and get the body. We have Wes and Connor on the floor, and they're rolling up a body in a carpet. We don't know who the body is at this point. Michaela is turned with her back (laughs) to them because she doesn't want to be complicit, even though I think at this point she is. She would be considered an accomplice because she was there. She knew about it. But she's just losing her her mind at this point. She's completely lost it. She's standing there acting like if she doesn't help them, then she is in some way not participating in it. And she's innocent. Laurel comes in. She's cleaned this statue, this bloody statue that Wes had brought to the woods. She's cleaned it and they're like set it back on the shelf and they're trying to get all of this stuff taken care of. Meanwhile, Michaela's freaking out and crying and talking like this a lot. That's how she talks the whole time. It gets annoying. This flashback establishes that the murder happened in Annalise's house and they are cleaning it up. They aren't leaving the body. They're cleaning it up, which is risky. So we keep going. We go back to three months earlier and we're in class and everyone is presenting their ideas. We get a lot of them. There are some wildly out there ones. There are some really smart ones. We see, of course, our main people presenting their ideas, which are all great and well thought out, really good. And then we see some of the people that are not doing quite so well. That we would be. We don't know any of their names. I don't know that they ever come back into play again. My favorite is the girl that's having like a, she's like having a full 
full breakdown as she's presenting this and she's like and gina where was gina which gina is one of i think she's the actual suspect but they're like where was gina we don't know where gina is and she just kept repeating that over and over and i just thought that's me that would be me as we go through all of these arguments presented and we start seeing the ones that pass and the ones that aren't the people that do pass on to the next round get to keep their seats. Everyone else has to sit on the sides of the on the stairs. As these arguments are presented, Wes keeps crossing off the list. He has a full page of arguments. And each time someone goes, it's another cross off the list. So by the time we get to him, we see his page. Everything's crossed off. Yes. He still has to get up and present something, but he has nothing. He actually comes up with a really unique idea, even though it wouldn't work at all. It's very unfeasible, but it's better than I would do under that kind of pressure. I would have just peed my pants. Yeah, I would have just gotten my stuff and probably walked out. Which he almost does. So he presents his argument as it was self-defense. Because the witness had Stockholm Syndrome, because the man had somehow ensnared her into a romantic relationship, and she felt trapped, and so the only way out was to kill him. And he basically says, and I'll grab my books and be out. And Annalise goes, no, you know what? You stay. That That's interesting. I don't rem- remember exactly what she says. She doesn't give him a lot of praise, but basically he gets to keep a seat, and he's shocked. And I think everyone else is too. Because because once he reveals he's on the wait list, no one's expecting anything from him. They think he's a joke. Right away, everyone is taking notice of him and very surprised that he made it that far. So Annalise reveals that while everyone did a pretty good job, no one beat her line of defense. She has a three-step plan. Number one, discredit the witness. Number two, introduce a new suspect. Number three, bury the evidence. How does she say it? She goes, you want the jury to leave the courtroom with one overwhelming feeling doubt which was my first clue bearing the evidence that she doesn't mind not playing by the rules the innocence of her client really isn't the priority the priority is winning and she will do whatever she has to win but that's from what i've seen that's what makes a good lawyer presence of morals doesn't necessarily mean anything well and it is the defense lawyer's job to present the case for their client whether they're guilty or not everybody deserves a fair trial What makes me upset is all these tricks and games that are played to get guilty people off and the times when innocent people are convicted. Well, and you really only see that with high-profile cases and people that can afford these kinds of lawyers. Because a lot of times you look at a court-appointed lawyer will not have the same resources as a high-paid, high-profile attorney like Annalise Keating. It does make you a little sad to know that the only people that are going to get a good defense most likely are the people that can afford it. And that's not to say that court-appointed attorneys can't provide good legal defense. No, it's just, I'm not saying that at all, because you can have an excellent court-appointed lawyer. A lot of times, though, those are the lawyers that are overworked. They have so many, they have such a huge caseload that they, A, don't have the resources, or B, have the time to find them. And from reading a lot of John Grisham books, if you have money to throw at specialists and people to testify, you can get a much better... Much better outcome, I'm sure. Yeah. So now we jump to our first day in court. Where they are questioning the... What is she? I think she's the 
the other secretary, she works in the office. Something that's established before we go to, into court is that Annalise could give a crap about these students' other classes. She's like, I'm not your mom. If you want to be here, if you want to be part of this competition and be part of this class, then you will be here. If you care more about school, then you'll go do your other stuff. Well, you can guess what most of the people that passed selected to do. Which makes me wonder how they get through law school because they still have to pass their classes and take the bar to become a lawyer. You have to keep watching. Oh, okay. So we go to our first day in court where they are questioning the first assistant. This guy is so rich and no, so lady. much. No, the guy who runs the company that oh. he has multiple assistants. I was like, Laura, that was a lady. <laughs> this is his first assistant that they're questioning. The first assistant. And she is pointing the finger. This girl is guilty. It, well, and she's doing it in a very passive way. It's like, oh no, I'm just presenting the facts. But she hates this girl. Michaela is late. Connor says, well, we know who's going to be the first to fizzle out because she comes in, whispers something to Annalise, and then sits down. What is it? So everyone's thinking Michaela's done. Th this was her moment and she burned out. Well, that leads Annalise to a different line of questioning. She starts questioning the witness about colors. And she said, what you said that the pill was yellow. And she said, yes. And she goes, oh, like the prosecutor's shirt. The witness says, yes, the prosecutor's shirt is blue. And they find out, Michaela has found out that this woman's colorblind. So Michaela is able to establish the first line of defense, discrediting the witness. Everyone hates her. Annalise says, I might as well hand you the trophy now, but I'm going to see how everybody else does. Challenge accepted. Everyone starts stepping up their game. I think in the course of the next few scenes, we get a flashback to Connor who is losing. I call it Connor's creepy Christmas carol sing-along because he's in the car after they have, this is, this is the flash forward, I'm sorry. He's in the car and he's singing this Christmas carol and Michaela's freaking out and doesn't want him to sing and he's like, no, I'm going to sing because you don't like it. And they have the body in the car. And for some reason, they stop at the gas station. And he's just coming apart. Well, this leads into Connor's personal flashback. And it shows him butting up to a tech guy that is employed by this man's company. I'm not sure what, I can't remember what the victim's company does, but he employs this tech company and Connor is getting close to one of these tech guys and is flirting with him. This guy is by no stretch of the imagination unattractive. He's very attractive, but they put glasses on him and everyone knows if glasses are on someone, they're immediately a nerd. <laughs> he buddies up to him and seduces him, is able to get some very damning information and also manages to get a little hanky-panky in there as well. One thing that we forgot to mention is before Connor's creepy Christmas carol, Wes was flipping through his law books and comes up with what he thinks is a really great idea and rushes over late at night to Annalise's office slash house to tell her this. Knocks on the door, nobody answers, so he barges in and finds her in a very compromising position with a very muscly guy. Yeah, and I was fully on board with everything that was happening. She makes it very clear that his idea, I can't even remember what it was, but his argument made no sense, would actually weaken their case, calls him by the wrong name, pushes him out the door. So Wes is not off to a great start. Connor's creepy Christmas carol happens. Then he seduces the tech guy, is able to actually get his hands on some very damning emails sent to the victim from his partner. Partner. Yeah. And it basically helps Annalise establish her second line of defense. Introduce a new 
suspect. Yeah, so this email is from the guy's business partner asking him to resign from the company because of his affairs that he's had with these different women that have worked in his office. Thus showing that there were tensions in the business and this guy was trying to force the other guy out, which must mean that he tried to kill him. It at least provides a little bit of suspicion. This is when you get your TikTok music that you love so much. Oh yeah, a lot of times, and I'm not sure how much it's utilized throughout the whole series because I didn't go back and chronicle it, but throughout that the pilot episode, there's this ticking music at times. This tick, 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 and it kind of builds and builds and builds, and more like instruments come in and fill in the the sound, and it just kind of reminds me of the crocodile and Peter Pan trying to find Hook. <laughs> So I feel like that's Annalise's music for when she's about to, like, strike. When she's about to make her move, it's tick, 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 bam. Also makes me think again of Blood in the Water from Legally Blonde. I thought about Legally Blonde a lot during this show. Even though the tones are completely different, there's just a lot of similarities in my mind between the competition and hiring some of the students from class. And I don't know, it just made me want to watch Legally Blonde there really were, bad. No, but there were similarities. I mean, maybe she did draw inspiration from Legally Blonde. But seeing as I've never gone to law school, I don't know the inner workings of how like common practices among professors. I'm sure that Shonda Rhimes did her research on law school, law firms, how those work. Well, TV shows also have experts that read the scripts and give them advice on things. Medical shows have them, law shows, cop shows. Well, and looking at just the culture of law itself, it is a competition. I mean, you have prosecutors and defense lawyers going against each other trying to win. I mean, Obviously, it's about something. It's not just about winning, but in their eyes, that has to be a huge aspect. So I'm sure competition plays in a lot in law school because you've got to get that killer instinct. Blood, Blood in, in the, the water. water. <laughs> this one takeaway is watch Legally Blonde. And listen to the musical. But also watch How to Get Away with Murder. <laughs> we go back to Wes's apartment building and we see this guy coming out of his neighbor's apartment and they had a fight. It was kind of a violent thing. It wasn't a friendly chat. He left in a big huff. I think he might have broke a door. He he did something and I think he might have shoved Wes. It was it was not a a happy visit. And from there, we go to a cocktail party. Ooh. Where all of our main players are talking to this guy, talking about how difficult the first year of law school is, and Wes walks up. We discover that this guy that they're talking to is Annalise's husband. He's a psychology professor named Sam Keating. He is not the man that Wes caught Annalise with. He is not muscly. He is kind of doughy. You see this silent exchange between Wes and Annalise. You know that she knows that he knows that she knows everything's happening. All this silent dialogue is happening and Wes just wants to get out of there. He can't and he gets cornered in the bathroom by a very emotional Annalise who tells him of her woes of trying to have a child with her husband and how the stress has driven her to the arms of another man. But she's touching Wes a lot. Mm. Lots of face and shoulders. But it doesn't feel sexual to me. It just feels very familiar. It feels like they have... It doesn't feel sexual to me. It just feels like she feels like she can be that close with him. Oh, see, I was thinking that she was going to try to seduce him so then he couldn't talk. It feels like she wants comfort from him. I think that's what it is. But of course, this is an act because even though she might actually feel these things... She knows it's in her best interest to 
gains sympathy from Wes, so he won't talk. Because as soon as he walks out of the room, the mask drops. And her face is stone cold. She's such a great actress. If I haven't said it, and I don't think I have, but I will say it. Viola Davis is one, if not the best actress of our time. She is wildly underappreciated. I don't think she's underappreciated now. I I think people are taking notice of her, especially in the last few years. Because I don't know if it was her first movie, but I remember the first time that I saw Viola Davis, which was in the movie Doubt. I remember Jack squat about that movie, except for her scene. And it's blazed onto my mind. I am a convert, but I will follow Viola Davis into the fires of hell. I will watch anything that she is in. She gives 110% commitment, range. She lets the snot run down her face. She fully does not care about the snot cry. She will snot cry all over you and you will like it. Because at first it really bothered me, but now I'm just like, snot cry! But if anyone else tries to, because I feel like she kind of patented that. Because I didn't really see that before Doubt. Because it was very much, it was in the moment. It was raw. It was visceral. It was just like, that. What was hap- that's what was happening. Since then, I've seen a couple of things. I've seen actors trying to do that. And it doesn't work because you can't get on her level. Viola Davis is amazing. And beautiful. And gorgeous. And her makeup is always fantastic in this. I wish I could possess an ounce of her presence because even when she is presenting on an award show, appearing on a talk show, she is so poised and regal. I have nothing bad to say about Viola Davis. Not that I ever should. I really can't find anything wrong with anything she ever does. And now we will close this session of The Church of Viola Davis. Thank you for listening. And get back to our episode. Oh, we weren't a Viola Davis podcast. We are now in the woods. They have carried the body there into the woods we go (laughs) just kidding another musical reference uh yes but that's i have been singing into the woods well they as well into the woods to bury a body (laughs) they had a run-in with the cops michaela made up some story no 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 let's really dive into this for a minute because michaela up until that point had been a sniveling, crying mess. And the second that there was trouble, this cop kind of stopped them as they were walking out the door with his carpet. And he's like, what are you doing? And she just snaps into focus. And she's like, oh, well, we're removing this rug for our law professor. We can call her. Oh, but her mother just died in the funerals tomorrow and I really don't want to bother her. And she just gives the performance of a lifetime. And Laurel's right there kind of feeding her and giving her more ammunition. And the cop ends up leaving them alone. There's a lot going on with the bonfire and he's got bigger fish to fry. So he's not going to worry about a couple of students with a carpet. So they've got the body out to the woods. Some people walk in the woods to get it on. Wow, 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 wow. And Laurel's phone rings with a sexy picture of Frank on it. A sexy picture of Frank. He's one of the Flotsam and Jetsons from earlier. There's a lot of sexy stuff going on in this show. So much sexy. You don't even know. This is a fraction of the sexy and Michaela sees this picture on the phone and she's like what is Frank doing on your phone why is Frank calling you and then we have another flashback where we find out that Frank likes to sleep with the students it's important to note too I don't think that we have at this point but it feels like every flashback is specific to one of the four in this group that is trying to figure out what to do about this murder Each time we flash back, it kind of focuses on one person. And whoever the last shot is, you know that the next flashback is going to be about them. So after Connor's creepy Christmas carols, we saw his scenes. His seduction. This one focused on Laurel, so now we find out 
a little bit more about her. She goes and confronts Frank with this information that she found out. Well, she was in the bathroom at the courthouse and she witnessed the wife of the victim and the person on trial having this moment of extreme tenderness between each other, almost comforting each other. She goes to Frank telling him this saying, I think they're in on it. The wife and the mistress. To which Frank just kind of puts her down. It's a very tepid response. And she realizes they've probably already figured this out. They know that this girl is guilty, but they don't care. And he says some not very nice things to her. Basically saying she's an idealist little rich girl that has no clue how the real world works. And she calls him a misogynistic ass because he says some real crap things to her. Oh yeah, and that's when Bonnie tells Frank to stop screwing the students. Because during this whole time, you feel this chemistry between the two of them. Like there's chemistry, but he's saying really mean things and she's like, F off. But Bonnie's like, Frank, stop screwing the students. Flotsam, quit screwing the students. We see a spot on TV where they're talking about Lila Stangard, and we've discovered that the guy that stormed out of Wes's neighbor's apartment is Lila's boyfriend. Not much is said about this whole underlying case. We get little snippets as the episode progresses. So we find out a little bit more about that case because it's definitely not at the forefront. Wes's neighbor, Rebecca, leaves him a bottle of whiskey. Oh yeah, he finally learns her name. He asks her if she wants to come over for a drink. She says she can't. And we go back to court to bury the evidence. Oh yeah. And this part for me shows who Annalise Keating is. Because up until this point, she kind of is just like this giant. And you don't really quite know what she's capable of. Sure, she puts on a big front, but can she really back it up? Yes, she can. Because in order to bury some evidence they were not aware of because they were not given the full story from the defendant, she calls in the man that she was having an affair with. He is an officer named Nate Leahy. And he was on duty that the night that this supposed evidence that they were unaware of was logged into evidence. There was a three or four hour delay between when when the police took it into custody and when it was logged into evidence. So she brings him in and he was on duty the night that he was with her. So she immediately starts going in questioning him. Who are you with? Were you with your wife? I hear your wife has cancer. Oh yeah, the guy that she's sleeping with, his wife has cancer. This web is just getting more woven. She keeps going and keeps going and digging and digging and digging and you can just see he is livid. But he can't say anything because he doesn't want anyone to know that they're having an affair because his wife has cancer. And she knows that. He's just going, I visited a friend. I visited a friend. She asks him if he's ever been aware of police tampering with video evidence in his career as a police officer. To which he says yes. And that is the key piece of evidence that they were unaware of that the prosecution had that the defendant hadn't let them know about. She gets him to admit that it's very possible that this evidence could have been tampered with in this four, three to four hour block. She buries the evidence and probably her affair, but it goes to show what Annalise is willing to sacrifice to win. Yeah, she'll give up her own relationships just so she can win this case. And this is just a taste of the level she will go to. Her client is acquitted. They win the case and she gets off scot-free. And the students are in awe. Michaela wants to be her. 
But I think more than all, I think they're terrified of her. I would be. I would be too, but I would be super impressed. So in class the next day, she announces the winner. It is Connor. So apparently seducing a tech dude is what it takes to win. Because not only is this statue a trophy, it also acts as an immunity shield. So if you want to get out of an exam or a test, you can present Annalise with that statue and you can get off scot-free. It's also the murder weapon. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. What? And so she announces who she is hiring. Obviously Connor, Asher, Michaela, and Laurel. And she says because of the caseload, she's going to pick one more person. Who could it be? That person is Wes. Who is baffled and everyone along with him. And we also have our another legally blonde moment. What's that? When she says because of the caseload, he's taking on more <gasps> oh. students. Because Callahan was taking on first years. First years. More first years than usual because of the caseload. We should really ask Shonda Rhimes if Legally Blonde came into play at all. Oh, that would make me so happy. (laughs) That's really funny. Wes confronts Annalise outside and says, I think that you picked me just because I know about your affair and I don't want to get the job that way. And she says, well, you don't think much of yourself. If you don't think much of yourself, then I won't think much of you. And this is when the monologue that we gave as the teaser during our second episode comes into play, which is all amazing. And I wish I could reread it and give you a dramatic reading, but I don't have it in front of me. It's amazing. And it ends with her going, do you want the job or not? You're left wondering, but I think we all know what Wes is going to do. Guess we're not wondering. We know what happens because then we, I think we go to a flash forward after that, right? No, actually we don't. Oh, we go to the sorority house. We go to the sorority house. Where a maintenance man says somebody complained about low water pressure and the sorority girl goes, uh, did anybody call maintenance? So no one knows why he's there. So he's, he's there. He goes up to the roof, goes up to a big water tank to figure out what's going on. And he discovers the body of Lila Stangard. Then we go to Annalise's house where we find out that Lila Stangard is one of her husband's students. Not only that, but we see, because on the news, because of course news vans are called immediately once they discover the body. You see Rebecca and Lila's boyfriend watching the news. And then we go to Annalise's house. Annalise walks in and Sam's watching the news and he looks really upset, disturbed, and he looks bothered. It's then revealed that Lila was one of his students. Annalise, of course, says she's sorry, but she's acting really odd. It's not t- it's not a typical reaction of someone who finds out their husband's student has been murdered. And she sits down on the bed next to him, and they're watching this news clip. And she goes, I bet you the boyfriend did it, and looks right at him. And he looks right at her and goes, I guess we'll see. And the shots in this are so cool, because you see one from his perspective, and then you see the, the last shot is of her perspective. And she turns away from the camera, and you see the look on her face, and she knows something's wrong. You don't know what's wrong, but you know that she knows something's wrong. We end the episode in the present with them in the woods, unrolling the body, covering it with brush, pouring lighter fluid on it, and they strike a match. And as they drop the match, it lights up the face, and we see that the dead body is indeed Annalise's husband, Sam. I've seen this pilot probably six times now. Six or seven times. I've watched it a lot because I really, I really think it's one of the best pilots I've ever seen. Give me your thoughts. After you finish this, how did you feel? Well, I immediately wanted to watch the next episode. Yes. And I was just amazed by the acting and the writing. And yes, it's a bit soap opera-y. Honestly, what story isn't 
on TV nowadays. Well, I think the thing is, is yeah, it, it is a little bit. It is a little dramatic because it is on a primetime network. So that kind of has to fit a mold in a way. It was such a fresh take and they were able to fit so much information, so many storylines, so many backstories into one episode. You know these people. You know how future episodes are going to feel. You know the layout. You know who all the main players are. The only questions you have is how is the story going to unravel? You don't feel confused about, oh, what is this show about? Or who am I going to be seeing in the future? All your questions are answered. This is an amazing pilot. The writers are fantastic. I can't go on enough about that. And the showrunner being able to pull all of these elements together. Because the costuming is good. The locations are great. It just has everything without it being too much. Everything is perfectly polished but it still feels tangible and real. This speaks to Shonda Rhimes as a showrunner, as a, as a show creator, a writer. This is why she is the queen of TV, in my opinion. Because not only does she have How to Get Away with Murder, she has Scandal, which is fantastic TV. She has Grey's Anatomy. I've never watched that, but I've heard, I know a lot of people are very obsessed with that. How to Get Away with Murder and Scandal are two of my absolute favorite binge shows. Like, I can just sit down and watch episode after episode. And I don't care how crazy it gets, because she always draws you back. She may lose you for an episode. I won't say Shonda will lose you for an episode. The story may lose you, and you may be kind of like, eh, for a couple episodes, but she will always draw you back in. And something that other shows need to take a cue from is the casting. This has such a wonderful, diverse cast. Yes. With amazing people. You have different people represented in this cast effortlessly. There are no labels put on anyone. It's just people are diverse. People come from different walks of life and it just is. That is that is what it is. No one has to be the martyr or the hero. Everyone is a human being. Everyone's doing the same thing. And I think you do because you do have romance that comes into play a little bit. So you do get that little bit of boy and girl chemistry thing between the two. Like you have the, the interaction between Frank and Laurel and that's kind of gross but it establishes a lot that goes forward. I think that that's great. I think it's really fresh. I think it's fresh just to see people being people and to see complex characters from all walks of life. No one really fits a mold, in my opinion. I think everyone really is unique and fully realized. Thank you for introducing me to this. You're very welcome. You not, you might not feel that way when you're a couple seasons in and you're like, what the hell is going on? But the pilot, I will say it and I will say it again. This is one of the best pilots on TV today. So what is your recommendation? My recommendation, it was a little difficult to get one this week because I think we talked about this earlier. It's very difficult to find a show or a movie or a book where the central character is is a woman in law or a police officer or something like that. Most of the time it revolves around men and women are side characters. So looking at this, I didn't know quite what to pick. So I want to call, I get, I'm giving you a couple of options. Number one, if you watch this pilot and you love it, you need to check out Scandal because it is just as gripping and it presents the political side and it's really cool. It does get a little convoluted and I think that that happens a little bit when you have a show that has to turn out 22 episodes a season. Overall, amazing TV and just really fun to watch. Going along with the more law mystery aspect, there is a great series, I don't know if great, but there's a series by James Patterson called The Women's Murder Club. They all have, that is the series like title, but they all have different titles based on a number. So it's first to die, then second, third, and they 
So they work the number of the book, what number the book is, into each title. And it is an all-female cast. You have a police officer. You have, uh, I believe, a medical examiner, a lawyer, and someone else. I can't remember, but I think I've read up till 10. He's up to 17 now. Really fun reads. Again, this isn't something that's going to be like, oh my gosh, this is the best thing I've ever read. But it's a fun read. It draws you in. It's entertaining. So yeah, I think those are my two recommendations for this week. How about you? I think I say this almost every time, but I did have a really hard time with this one. Because I kept looking at it from the female lawyer aspect. And there are some TV shows out there. The Good Wife, Ally McBeal. Although that was, I think, more of a... I don't know what that was. That was before my time. So I'm not quite sure what that was. Yeah, I've never watched either one of those shows. There was a weird digital dancing baby. Yeah. I don't don't know. know. Portia de Rossi was on it. But finding a movie or a book, I haven't read anything that features a female lawyer. Again, shows like Boston Legal, it's mainly the dudes and, you know, Candace Bergen was in that, but she wasn't the main character. I kind of wonder about suits because I know the the lead stars are both men, but I know that they had women who were lawyers. So I don't know what that show looks like, but it might be one checking out just... Maybe not a recommendation, but just to see what what it's about. So it seems like TV does a little bit better with the female lawyers than movies do. Well, TV has Shonda Rhimes. The only one that I could find was Erin Brockovich, and she's not a lawyer. She just works in a law office. And just happens to be better at law than the lawyer. But I was watching a TV show recently, Janet King. It's an Australian series where she is a lawyer, a lesbian, and a new mom. Wow. And it was really interesting. So she's trying to figure out how to work her law career while having twins and balancing life with her wife. So it's really interesting. We may do an episode on that in the future. I am super intrigued. That is right up my alley. I'm going to give that as my recommendation, even though I think... We might talk about it more in depth later on. Well, it never hurts to have a working knowledge of future episodes. So just maybe check it out. And then when we do our episodes, you won't have to go back and research it. So with that, here is our clue for our next episode. There's always a killer. So logically, someone has to die. So I found out something recently. Tell me. It was really surprising to me, but we are not the experts on everything. What? I know. I really couldn't believe it. As the fact was brought up to me, I think we should inform you that we may be having guests on the show that will help us out with some things. They might be popping up from time to time. Keep an eye out for that in the future. Or an ear open. So this week we are introducing a new segment for the end of the podcast called Person of Interest. And this is where we give a special shout out to those that are liking our work and the podcast, sharing it, and supporting us in general. So this week we actually have two amazing people of interest, and I'm going to let Laura tell you a little more about them. We want to say a big thank you to Cole and Erica over at the Magic Lantern Podcast. That is such a cool name. You need to go check them out. They talk about movies of all kinds. They've got a few really great mystery episodes, a lot of Hitchcock, Rope, Rebecca. They do The Thin Man and a bunch of other things. They gave us a really nice shout out, and I want to say a super big thank you to them. So make sure and check out their podcast. Laura, where can we find them at? You can find them on pretty much any platform that carries podcasts. They are the Magic Lantern Podcast. We really appreciate the support. Thank you for listening to this episode of Fatal Fems. To keep up with us, please follow us on Twitter at Fatal underscore Fems. 
have a suggestion or comment for the show, shoot us an email at fatalfemspodcast at gmail.com. While you're at it, make sure to subscribe and rate us on iTunes. We hope you enjoyed today's episode because if you didn't, we'll find you. Thanks for listening.